Welcome to the OMR Podcast, where we go inside the minds of some of the biggest names in digital and tech. My name is Scott Peterson, and I am an editor at OMR. Today's guest is Adam Singolda from Taboola, the world's largest content recommendation engine. In this episode, Adam talks with OMR's Heidi Stammer about the challenges of growing at scale, the impact of its latest products, what the future holds, and why ninjas are better than zombies. Tabula's Adam Singolda in the OMR podcast. Happy listening. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, today we have Adam Singolda, the CEO and founder of uh, Tabula. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> so this is a, kind of a catch-up because you talked with Philip about a year ago. Right. And uh, so we got to hear a lot about the genesis of Tabula and about your strategy at that point. So it would be great to touch base on some of those topics and get an update of where you are now, how the universe has changed. Right. So much is happening in just one year. Um, the first thing I thought we would talk about is just this massive scaling that you've undertaken. So you've talked a little bit about how people and culture is really important to you. Um, however, you've scaled from, you were 800 people, now over 1,000 with a goal of reaching 1,300 potentially by the end of the year. So that's nearly doubling your employee base in one year's time. So how have you thought about that? How have you managed that type of massive you know, hiring um, and still maintained your culture? I mean, it's definitely... Um a tricky thing because you know what really what makes companies special in today's crazy world that you know it's so it's so easy to copy each other's logo tagline product say you do what they do everybody adds the word ai to whatever they pitch everybody's doing ai these days and really what i think you know at the end of the day what makes companies different um is i think uh, people culture and, and ability to execute on whatever it is that you say you do at the end of the day, that's the, a true competitive advantage of a company, any company, in my opinion. So when you're a startup, it's easier because you see everybody in the same room, you get to know everybody uh, much better. It's like truly a family. But then when you become bigger, you know, you ask yourself, how can you scale a startup? How can you scale a culture? Mm -hmm. um, so we spend a lot of time on that. You know, I think it starts with um, what type of people you want to bring in. What does it mean to be a Taboola employee? Right, so it does it mean we're looking for uh, experienced people that have done it before, uh, or we're looking for people that um, are potentially less experienced but have so much uh, for them to learn? They're hungry and uh, and they'll catch up on that, and when they do, they'll become even better than those experienced people. So that's something that we constantly ask ourselves: you know, what type of people we want to bring at the management level, in in all the way all the way around the company, and we primarily optimize for. Um, three things. The first one is we bring people that um, are very passionate. So we're looking for passion. And you know when someone is passionate when you talk to them. There's mm -hmm. something in their eye, you know, some sort of like a fire. Uh, and it's even what their hobbies, like do they run? Like do they swim? Do they, what do they do that keeps them passionate? Even outside of work, what, what gives them that kick? So we love that. Uh, the second thing is we look for intelligence. Uh, like, you know, just smart people. Um, and curious people, you know, things like that. And the third one is kind people, people that have empathy. We find that people that are empathetic uh, are usually empathetic to their colleagues or clients, to whoever they work with. So that's one thing we do as we scale up. And we hire, you know, uh, four or 500 people a year. So it's massive hiring. And so we're trying to really sprinkle that 
all the way through the organization so everybody will act the same way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the second thing is just the concept of the culture. Um, we would try to get people to try and break things and make mistakes and then speak about those mistakes. We speak about them every week. You know, we have, uh, there's a lot of communication that goes at Tabula. You know, uh, every week, every office is gathering and they talk about this past week and what did we do wrong and things like that. We do all hands. I send an email um, every few months about what I think matters. Uh, we celebrate when things work. We, we speak about it when it's not. We are very transparent. Every employee at the company knows how much money we have in the bank, how much money we're making, what did we lose, who are great accounts. You can be an office manager or an SVP at Tabula and you have the same access to our financial information. So everybody feels like they're sort of like founders of this company. Um, I always say, you know, I hope we're sort of like a startup of startups. Um, because if you feel like you're part of something that you created, you don't feel like an employee. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're less minded to um, Google calling you and saying you, you should work for us, you know, as an example, things like that. So I think, you know, all those small things create behaviors that uh, allow people to identify with what it feels to be at Tabula. So that's sort of the things that I spend a lot of my time in, especially as over, you know, about 50% of the company joined in the last year. Um, another thing that I don't like about it is that, um, you know, when we were smaller, um, you know, we were just smaller. And now we know that we're a thousand plus employees. Um, and I'm the CEO of the company, people take me too seriously. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that. You know, I, I, I like conversation-driven uh, decisions. I mm -hmm. love that decisions are made by having a conversation. And a conversation is uh, flat. It doesn't matter what your title and who you are and what you did before. It's, it's about the merit of the conversation. And that's what I like more. So I try to break the concept of titles and seniority. Uh, we started something called Tabula University um, a few years ago. And then every month, uh, we hire about 40 people a month. So every month there's graduation of the university, which is great. So just understand in that university, you have people of all from, we have 17 offices. So from all over the world, people fly say to New York and they spend two weeks and they'll will level set everything we think you need to know to become successful at the beginning of your first day at Tabula, which really doesn't exist because you already met so many people. And at the last day, um, I join as well. And then I try to break that concept of um, CEO and what does it mean? And I just come with a t-shirt and jeans and we just, I, talk, you know, I talk about what I think matters to be at Tabula and who succeeds here and things like that. So um, I try to deal with the fact that people take me seriously because I don't like it. <laughs> um, and sort of like people appreciate the conversation. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of like... They have a personal connection to you. Yeah, personal connection. And, and again, focus on... I always said nobody at Tabula is immune from answering a question. If you feel you're too good for someone's question, even if it's a tough one, you should just not be part of what we call Tabula. Um, and so, so as you've made this transition from, you know, being hustling, startup, gaining speed, growing, really scaling, global company, um, how have you had to change say your average day, your work day, how are you splitting your time between, you know, how much are you allocating to uh, recruiting versus, you know, thinking about strategy or in getting yourself involved with product? How do you organize? Well, two things time? happened uh, since I last um, did my uh, OMR podcast. One, uh, Tabula hired hundreds of people and we became uh, 
a billion dollar revenue company with 17 offices and one and a half billion people that we reach every month. So we mm-hmm. grew we grew fast, even even faster. Um, and the second thing is that I had a baby who I love dearly. Congratulations. Uh, thank you, a little Aussie. <laughs> and um, so now I have to be even more focused and better with my time. So I have much less time for bullshit, as an example, mm-hmm. uh, because I want to I give him a bath every time when I'm in New York. And that means that um, 6.30 to 7.30 is a precious time. You know, I can't do drinks unless it's really worth it um, and things like that. So the combination of having more people um, and having a baby actually uh, made me, I think, better because I try to focus on things that can truly uh, made an imp- you know, make an impact. So I try to focus on uh, things that generate over what, you know, I'm asking myself, what makes over $100 million next year? Um, so as an example, video. Uh, we've acquired a company called Convert Media, mm-hmm. uh, which became part of our Tabula Feed strategy. Uh, it's exactly a year and change uh, anniversary now for that, which essentially is like a social feed experience. Like, you know, if you go to Instagram, you have different cards, images, and videos, and carousels, and things like that. So it's very similar to that, only on the open web. So now when you go to publishers that you love, instead of, uh, when you finish reading the article, instead of having a commenting widget, a sharing tool widget, recommendation widget, and it looks like kind of like a bit of a hectic environment. Now it's a beautiful social experience, um, and video is a big part of that. We we are growing video massively, mad fast, which is so exciting to see. I believe we're 12 months away from being um, third or fourth largest video company out there after YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat. That's um, it's really interesting because. When you started your business, that a certain irony that you started your business focusing video. the first four years on video, and then kind of you were a little bit too early kind of for the market at that time. And so now it seems now you're returning to video now right. that the kind of market has ripened. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I think there's been some talk about, you know, the six second video spot versus more longer form content how are you thinking about that for video? Yeah, I mean, now it's true, though, that it's like I'm closing a circle. Uh, I started as a video recommendation company 11 years ago, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's why my white hair is so apparent. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and now um, video, you know, and I failed miserably when I started Taboola. I couldn't make it work. Video was so not ready in the year 2007. Uh, there was YouTube, but that was about it. You know, so, mm-hmm. uh, but I was persistent and passionate and stubborn, really. Uh, and it almost cost me the company, and I was lucky to be here to tell the story. Uh, but now with, with the acquisition of Convert Media and the launch of Tabula Feed, video is hundreds of millions of dollars business for us, which means it's hundreds of millions of dollars to our publisher uh, partners. Um, what I do notice now that I spend a lot more time in video and I spend time with brands and agencies, I see that there's a, there's a big challenge um, in measurement and formats. You know, we, we measure video success by completion rates because that's a proxy for success. If someone finished watching the video, that must mean that it was a good experience, which is probably to some extent true, uh, but when you have new formats that are six seconds ads, um, but you don't change the measurement, it looks like they're very successful. Right. <laughs> you can't switch off the video within six seconds. So, Ex- oh, there's a great ad. <laughs> exactly. So the, what, I, what I advocate when I speak on panels, when I talk to our you know, brands and agencies, partners around the world, I say, you know, we just have to remember that there is a, there's a conflict here because the people that measure success 
are motivated to promote certain formats that just by definition look successful, but they don't necessarily mean they drive the value brands are looking to achieve, whether that's brand awareness um, or performance of, of some sort. So I think that from our perspective, we're trying to one, create a good brand safe environment. You know, it's like in a feed, on a publisher's site. Um, so that's the beginning of what we do. But then we're also trying to have conversation about what other measurements uh, should we be looking for uh, beyond completion rates. Um, and what are some of those measurements? So, you know, viewability, just to make sure that people know this is not funny type of traffic. You know, people abused the video industry to the bone. I mean, playing a video player the size of a pixel at the bottom of the page with audio off, without nobody seeing it, really bad stuff. Um, so I, I think, you know, we're starting by just establishing good behavior. Um, and then we're talking also about click to play, click from the video to the landing page of the advertiser, if that was something the user was interested in. We're doing surveys to try to see if there was something, you know, over the next few months, was there any effect of that? We're having some really good results with actually TV advertisers that are telling us that they're able to move TV budgets to digital which is very important because remember that TV advertising is about, um, the digital advertising uh, moving from TV now is about $20 billion. So it's a big market, but um, there is scarcity. There is not enough brand safe video inventory on publisher sites. So if we can prove that brands should spend dollars on quality journalism in a feed environment because it's, it scales and it works well for them, it means we might take some dollars away from World Gardens that are great companies, but you know, we should, we should make sure that we support journalism too. So right now, most of the dollars go to Google and Facebook. And right now, but the, right now most of your advertising is traditional performance marketing versus right. kind of brand awareness. Yeah, video is our, if we were Google and search was our prim, you know, prime revenue source, which is currently our sponsored content, video is our YouTube strategy, right? So YouTube is when we go, upper funnel, and that's where we drive awareness for brands. Um, but I think for me, what the most exciting opportunity is really to solve the scarcity um, challenge the open web now has. You see, if a brand now calls a great publisher, whichever publisher you want to choose, and say, I have a $50 million campaign to give you, and I want to spend it this month, can you take it? Nine out of 10 publishers, if not 9.9, .9 will say, unfortunately not. And that's a shame. So, and the answer should be yes, and how can you give me more, mm -hmm. right? So the, the way to solve it, this scarcity, it's, by the way, it's, it's so interesting. It's the only place on the internet, video, where you have oversubscription of demand versus supply. That there's more dollars trying to get in than people can take. So that's why I'm a strong believer in high quality, good user experience, like the feed, that can integrate video every third or fourth card there's a video that plays, which is really the Instagram strategy um, alongside adding good measurement. So brands say, well, if I can put a dollar in social or a dollar on brand safe website and I get the same value, I'd rather be on Build. I'd rather be on Stroil. Mm -hmm. I'd rather be on, you know, on Kicker, right? It's, it, these are sites I know. Audience resonates with them. People are passionate about those websites. So I'd rather give them my dollars. So this is the transition to Bullet's trying to lead. It will take us time to get to the scale I want to get to, but I, um, but I think we're onto something. And so related to brand dollars, um, how are you guys thinking about your placement within 
the pages. Sometimes, often, Taboola comes at the end of an article. Right. Um, it's not that premium, you know, top third of the page that a lot of maybe brand advertisers want. Um, are you working with your publishers and partners for more premium placements? I mean, I don't know what's the definition of premium. I think premium is value to me. Uh, I mean, otherwise, I think it's ego and perception. So I like to focus on what moves the needle to you as uh, with the way you measure it. So I, li I like to talk about values uh, and ROI. Whatever ROI could be awareness, could be a survey, could be, it could be offline sales. I'm not against it. I'm just saying I think that um, for the most part, the, so long that you focus on value, things tend to grow. And so long that you focus on perception and things like that, uh, things tend to shrink. So do we have high visible placements? Yes, we're on the homepage of many of our websites. Does that dri drive most of the scale to those publishers? I don't think so all the time. Um, and I think actually we drive a lot of impact from the bottom of article because there's, you know, when someone finish reading an article, there's this magical moment that they're looking to do something. And if you're a brand and you're suggested to that consumer at the right time, you know, in a relevant way, that's a lot of value. And it can be a brand positioning um, impact if it's a video. It can be... Uh, if you think of the purchase funnel, it can be a consideration element. It can be even a purchase. So, and then especially if it's a feed, it doesn't have to hand. It can be so like I can spend two or three or four minutes in that environment. So we have both, but I really like, I call it the moment of next. You know, those are great moments, uh, which is when users finish doing one thing and they're about to do something else. Mm -hmm. And so... Um You've said like the Taboola is, you consider it more in this discovery space, more uh, similar to Google and Facebook, rather than say just thinking about it compared to your immediate competitors like Outbrain. Um, and one, one major difference is that they own their destination, own their websites. Um, how have you thought about that? You're more this aggregated distributed model. And, um, but it seems like with some of your current partnerships of you know, news aggregation for mobile handsets, like right. your new partnership you have with ZTE and some other handset manufacturers, that maybe you're moving a little bit more towards this, um, having your own kind of destination? So uh, it's not, uh, we will probably never, I, nev I don't like to use the word never, so, but it's a <laughs> podcast, so imagine I never said it. But for posterity. For, yeah, we're, <laughs> I I'll tell you what I think is very strong about our brand positioning. We are not a consumer company. Nobody knows what Taboola is unless you work with us. You're our partner. Um, consumers are unaware. My mother doesn't know. Well, she knows through me, but she's not supposed to know what Taboola is. And the concept is that we're not a consumer company. Hence, we're not motivated to build our own relationship with consumers, which means we're, we will never compete with our partners. We will never become evil mm -hmm. because if our publisher partners grow, we grow. If our publisher partners shrink, we shrink. So we're 100% aligned with that. Um, saying that, um, and in, by the way, in many ways, I think that's exactly what, what makes us different than Walled, Garden, you know, Walled Gardens, which is um, we're like the Robin Hood of the open web. You know, um, You have on one side big social, social search companies that their motivation will never be to grow the open web because if it was up to them, the internet would be them, right? Um, and they said it publicly, and that's a problem. 
I think for all of us, especially for when you think of local journalism, which have responsibility to make sure people are safe mm -hmm. and they know what's going on, uh, where they live. And if they are not supported, uh, nobody will keep people safe. So it's, it's critical the open web stays strong and not only grows, but actually thrives, right? So I think that's, that's our mission. You know, we're, we do the best we can to, to, make, it, to make it happen. Um, and with a recent announcement of, it's a whole new division at Tabula, we call it Tabula News. Um, so the concept of Tabula News, it's sort of competes with Apple News. Mm -hmm. Apple News is uh, the news aggregation service that lives within iOS when you buy an iPhone or iPad. Uh, but in the case of Apple, when you see a news recommended to you, um, you know, on your Apple device and you click on it, you stay on Apple News. You don't go to the website. It kind of reminds me of instant article of Facebook, you know, which was an attempt to keep consumers in your Facebook feed and never have them leave to the publisher site. And that's a fundamental long-term problem because it means that over time, people will stop having a relationship with the publishers they love the most because they will forget they exist. They will just click on content in their social feed or their Apple device and they will stay there and everything is going to look the same. So you normalize brands, uh, you normalize the, the relationship. And so that's a two, three years major risk, I think, for the open web and journalism. So what we try to do, similar to what we've done with recommendations on publisher sites, we basically launch a personalized feed product we call Tabula News. And as opposed to our core business, which is in the open web on publisher sites, in this scenario, it's everywhere else. It's on Android devices. In this case, we announced uh, yesterday that we signed with Vivo, the fifth largest Android manufacturer in the world, selling over 100 million Android devices a year. So in the concept that, that as they sell Android devices, you're going to have news recommended on the device. And if you click on any of it, instead of staying on the Android environment, we will send you to the browser, to the publisher site. So we will hopefully become a huge audience driver to quality publishers all around the world, helping publishers grow. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, think of it like SEO 20 years ago. Right, so I, I hope this is the next wave of SEO. And it doesn't even stop there. We, um, we're, doing, you know, we're doing partnerships with airports. Um, we're doing partnerships with cars. Basically any screen that can surface news to consumers should have Tabula in it. Tabula news should be anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I will promise you that we will never keep the consumer in Tabula. As long as this is a Tabula integration and you click on the Tabula news recommendation, we will send you to the publisher-owned and operated website, so you will get to know them. Uh, hopefully, you'll build a relationship with them. And they can monetize that experience any way they see fit. So this is a huge part of my job as well now, um, as I think of the next And then they monetize with Tabula. And then <laughs> but Tabula is one piece yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, I wish we were, you know, I could tell you we are 80% of it. We're not. They have despair advertising and video and subscription and affiliates. Uh, we're not alone. Uh, I love Tabula, but, you know, it's, it's not all about us. Uh, so in this case, I see us more of as, as an audience drive. Um, but hopefully publishers can monetize it better than it can monetize Apple News or, or Instant Article or something like that. So that's, that's sort of part of my, you know, next seven, ten-year strategy uh, as I think of Tabula 2.0, it's how we can drive the next hundreds of millions of people to the open web. It, it seems like with some of these partnerships, um, you've been focusing a lot on Asia because of 
for instance, the Vivo handsets, um, mainly, you know, primary market this is, one is Asia. Yeah. Um, also, um, so ha in China is obviously a big opportunity, right. big juicy opportunity. Uh, but a lot of uh, out companies coming from outside of China have kind of struggled there. How are you thinking about the China opportunity? And also, since you are dealing with publishers and news, how are you thinking about how to deal with censorship and some of those issues of having an open web? So just on your first point, um, it's very global. Vivo specifically is very uh, Asia-Pacific. Uh, they are really successful there. We announced before that uh, a partnership with ZTE, which already launched in Mexico, Germany, uh, Russia, so, and we have some partnerships in the US. Um, and you're going to continue to hear really exciting partnerships that are very global. So this is a global strategy and our intent is to help um, and to boost traffic um, in all of the regions we operate in right now. Um, specifically about China, I think, you know, it, um, you know, we've taken money from Baidu, which is the, the Google of, of China um, in, uh, in 2014 and then in 2015. And, um, you know, we did that, one, because Baidu is an amazing company, but also because we wanted a strong partner as we walk the journey of building a successful business in China. It, it's still early days for us. Uh, it's growing. And, you know, we announced China Daily and, and a bunch of really exciting partnerships in China. But I think we're still um, building the trust that's needed to be a successful company in China, and that will take us more time. Um, so, you know, I think on that, on that front, it's a big opportunity, but it's more of a, um, a journey uh, that we need to take. So, um, talking about international markets, so we're currently in Germany. Yeah. Uh, you guys have grown very rapidly here, some really premium partners. And um, I read that you had grown about 75% in the last year in Germany, reaching about 64% of all desktop users. Um, you know, what was fueling this growth for you in Germany? And, you know, do you see even more opportunity here? Yeah, I mean, I think Germany is an incredible market. Um, first of all, you know, the starting from the media side, the advertising market here is very sophisticated. So brands and agencies and sales houses are very sophisticated, very, you know, they hustle, they're aggressive and they push. Um, and that's and and prices are great. So this is a very mature market. Consumers react to advertising well. Um, um, and so I think on that front, Germany is a great market. It's a mature market, and there's a lot of innovation that can happen. On on the publisher side, we you know we have we're fortunate to have such strong partnerships. Uh, you know we mentioned Stuhl. Um We announced recently um, Axel Springer uh, is a strong partner of ours. And and that's what's unique about Germany is the focus on product. Um, and also relationships. You know, I think um, people here like to spend time together and innovate and try to think of the product uh, and try to come up with new things. So this is not one of those uh, America first, other places second. You know, Germany is very Germany first and publishers um, love to break and make uh, things with us at least that I see. <clears throat> and and um, that means our management, you know, is spending more time here. So yeah, we, you know, we've been fortunate. I heard that we're now ninety-one percent reach in Germany. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, so way also more than on mobile, or how do you? Is I that think mobile is like I heard uh, eighty or something like that. <laughs> but it's it's you know it's very high numbers. Dominating. Yeah, we're 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 growing in the right direction, <laughs> and we're having a good time. I'm a lot more in Germany myself. 
Uh, of course, Berlin is always fun. Uh, and Hamburg. Of course, that's what I meant <laughs> to say. And um, you know, and Cologne, and you know, and but but honestly, at the end of the day, it's um, it's it's the merit for companies you work with to to grow. Um, and we see growth, and I hope it's just the beginning. So, um, as a side note, you, I mean, you you spend your company spends a lot of time fine tuning ads. You know, really figuring out what converts, what clicks. Um, do you see any regional differences uh, between, say, you know, any the, the high level? You know, what works here doesn't work there, or is it universal? Oh, it's definitely. Regional. I mean, first yeah. of all, just by definition, some markets are, are tuned very differently in terms of the type of mix of the advertising what market. What would be the main differences you see between, say, Germany and the U.S.? So Germany is an example. Um, the mix of brand advertising is much higher. Um, so a lot more brand advertising dollars here are ready to be deployed and are flexible to be deployed versus the U.S. Um, I think U.S. is... Um, different, there's less sales houses in the U.S. It's much more common in Germany uh, to have a, a big sales house, which is very equipped to attract brand dollars and then deploy them. So I think Germany is very special in that way. If you look at uh, Korea, Korea is very commerce-driven market, right? Um, so you have different, and very mobile. So you have, you know, different markets are, are um are shaped that way also, you know, US is, Google and Facebook are very strong. So by definition, you have a much more mature um, direct-to-consumer performance advertising and things like that. So, and everybody sort of enjoys that. Um, but it's definitely local. Also, it's local in terms of policies, you know. Uh, we have a big compliance team, a policy team, 50 mm -hmm. people to just review ads globally. We review over 1 million ads a month. 1 million sponsored content pieces every month. So I pay 50 salaries for people just to review advertising, accept or reject, and then categorize them based on our taxonomy. So then it flows into publishers respectively. And then just on that front, you can imagine that in Japan, uh, if you crop a sumo fighter, that's a very bad thing to do, the thumbnail of a sumo fighter. In Thailand, if it's about the king, that's not good. And so, you know, you have different policies as well. So it's not even just the type of ads and the mix. It's also what compliances exist in that region and how you can be respectful to that region. So all of that goes into play. Yeah. And so with 50 a 50-person 50 team reviewing content, also as you continue to scale, there's only so much an uh, individual can do. I understand you're investing a lot in AI yeah. and machine learning. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So one, so we have um, we're the third largest desirable company in Israel for deep learning engineers to work for, which we're very proud of. Um, deep learning is basically, or AI uh, is the evolution from machine learning, and we've completely switched our entire stack to deep learning, which basically allows us to um, do what we do a lot better. Um, and then in terms of the compliance team, I intend to continue to scale that team. So I think that some human problems need humans to solve. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, AI is, is help, you know, it's, it's important because it helps us to signal when things look funny. Uh, you know, if things have too high click-through rates, what's wrong with that? We work with companies to help us find cloakers. So there's a lot of things we do to basically identify bad actors. But at the end of the day, 
Um, sometimes, you know, especially when it's in the world of fake news and things of that nature, you need humans to solve human problems. And so talking a little bit more about your product, you know, you've, we've touched on the feed, which you have rolled out. Yeah. Um, was that this past year? It's yeah, been, it's May of last year is when we launched it. May of last year. So what kind of impact have you seen on engagement levels and revenue because of the new feed format? Um, have you had any negative feedback based on the infinite scrolling, the kind of endless, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, endless content? It's only endless to people who scroll. It's actually, it does nothing to people who are zombies. So if you're a zombie user that came from social and you read one paragraph and bounced, you never saw infinite scroll to begin with in any case. So it's only infinite if it's infinite, you know? Um, so actually, you know, I, I would argue it doesn't do anything unless it's to begin with relevant. So, um, and then when it, when people do scroll, they sort of become ninja users. What we see is that when someone gets to the 20, 20th and 30th card, they become super users. They click much more, they engage with the site much more. Uh, so it's, it's fantastic. And, um, you know, it's very difficult to build that product, you know, lazy loading the experience. There's a lot, there's a lot of technicalities behind the feed. But for the most part, it's done great um, for our publisher partners. It's now over a third of our revenue company-wide, mm -hmm. a year and change into it. So this is really not insignificant. Um, you know, we're a billion-dollar revenue company. So um, the scale of that is, fin is really fast, and I hope it will become 100% of it uh, next time we do, we do our podcast. So, and I, what's good about Feed is that it's the first time. Traditionally, publishers had to trade engagement with revenue. So they either had to say, I want people to engage more with my site and show more recirculation on the site, but then they would make less money because the advertising would be um, lower on the page. Or they would say, well, show more ads at the top, but then show engagement recirculation lower. So they would always have to trade. Do I want people more engaged on my site or do I want to make more money? Feed is sort of the first time you can do both. Because people actually scroll and interact, we can surface uh, a lot more recirculation and uh, equally more sponsored content or videos. Sometimes they don't even have to leave the site. It's a video, so they, don't, they stay. They just watch a video and they continue to scroll. So it's the first time we're able to increase, you know, increase pages per session, engagement, but also generate significant more revenue uh, to the publisher direct. So people tend to like it. I see now publishers more and more design their own tabula feed, which is so much fun. People own it. They want to make it beautiful. I use the word beautiful um, and with publisher <laughs> partners because they want to make it great for them. It needs to feel like, I know if they were to design their own Instagram, how would it look like? So, um, so that's sort of what it did to our business. And it, it's not only the feed over the last year, Newsroom also became a big part of our business. Newsroom is our editorial platform. So we have uh, 60 people now that are just uh, engineers that are just working on an A-B testing capability for editors and writers, as well as um, something that give editorial teams data to know, uh, to, to empower them with what do their loyal readers um, read when they're not on their site. So if you imagine you're a writer, you write the OMR blog pages, and you're like, well, I wish I knew what my million readers read, my loyal readers, whether they read or they're not on my blog. When they leave me, what do they do? And then I would tell you using Tabula Newsroom that the, most of them really passionate about drones. 
and you're not covering drones enough. And you would tell Philip, you know, Philip, we really have to cover some drone founders. We should line it up because our readers constantly read about drones, but not on OMR. What if you discover something you didn't want to know about your readers? No. It's, <laughs> up, it's up to you. Do whatever you want to do with it. It's a taxonomy uh, that, by yeah. the way, it's very, uh. it's very real time. Yeah. It changes by the day, by the week, by the month, based on what's going on around the world. But at least you know, by the way, it's anonymized. I will not tell you how I found out about it. I will not tell you who it is. But I'll give you an anonymized taxonomy of what your loyal readers really want to do. Especially if you think about subscription and podcast pipeline and things like that. This is very powerful and it's free. So that's another thing that we've spent our time in the last uh, few years, but it really accelerated over the last year with um, editorial teams using that on a daily basis, which is some, it's so much how, fun. How granularly do you contextualize the ads that you're showing? So for instance, I imagine you have some type of targeting based on the publisher itself. Then do you also look at the content of the article when you're t doing your Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. we're looking at over a hundred things. We're looking at time of day. How do you get to the page from a search page, from social, what platform, which phone are you using? Uh, what's the article about? What, do you, what did you read on the Tabula Network of the past 30 days? Um, people like you, sort of like the Amazon, people who've done that also have done that. So we're, we're, I mean, you know, we're spending, we have 400 engineers in Israel and a lot of our efforts go to continuously improve the experience consumers have and then respectively uh, generate more revenue and engagement to publisher sites. And uh, to that point, you know a lot about the users. And so how did you navigate the new era of GDPR controls and some of the other um, legislation, for instance, in California that's being introduced? Have I mean, we don't have, nobody logs into Tabula. So we don't know, the, there's no PII in terms of, I don't know your gender, your age, your name. I know what you read. Um, so we spent a lot of time with our legal team and our publisher partner teams to um, to be ready for GDPR and obviously we're very compliant. We work with the you know the, the publisher consent system and then we um, we you know we store the data and we operate it ourselves as well. So it took it took a lot of energy and effort. Um, I do think there's a long term uh, win for GDPR. Um, so you know in terms of making the web more educated about privacy and consumers and we know who keeps what. Um, and I think eventually also value again. I think. The future belongs to people that create value uh, and not other stuff. So I think users need to be more aware. Uh, I expect GDPR will not be a European initiative, but perhaps a global initiative. And in fact, I think uh, so far we've seen positive reaction from it. So um, we were, I do think it took a lot of energy to be ready for it. But um, sometimes disadvantaged smaller players. Yeah, it's not easy. It. It's not easy when you need to spend a lot of resources on that. Uh, but if we become more standard, we will forget it was a new thing in a few years and it will just become the way we do business. And I think especially when you look at what's going on around the world with different privacy issues, uh, you just have to ask yourself, where is it all going? Um. One more question about your product. So you, you just rolled out self-service yeah. kind of in the past year. It's now one of these $100 million businesses for your company. Do you have any regrets about waiting so long to roll that out? Or, you know, what was your thinking about finally this is the time? It's a, it's a great question. And, you know, the, the biggest, um, you know, innovator's dilemma is can I do even more than what I'm doing today? And, uh, and what am I not doing? And... Um, 
And you know, I think self-service is really hard, um, primarily because the level of support and organizational structure you need to build behind it to make it sustainable for your clients that are coming in and expect to get value from you is massive. Um, the guy who managed Google self-service in Europe is uh, he's managing our, we call it low-touch, uh, self-service. <clears throat> and it's really difficult. It took us a lot of time just to prepare to launch it. And it's a very successful program. You know, it's rolling out all around the world. Um, but I will tell you from an account, ma account management and support and knowledge management um, to make sure that, because eventually you have to think about there's 120 million businesses around the world. I think all of them needed a Taboola account. It will take us a long time to get there, but eventually uh, it's, it's part of our goals as a company to make sure that every business is successful with, with Taboola. And um, to do it in a self-serve way, you need to be very good at show, walking people through the process of it becoming successful with you. So I'm not regret, you know, regretful at all that we've done it only a year and change ago. Um, and even now that we're a thousand people and we have so much energy and resources behind it, it's still you know, hard for us, but it's very successful. So looking to the next, say, three years for Taboola, um, what are your, going to be your key focus areas? What do you have to get right to be really successful? And also the million dollar question or billion dollar question is, do you see an IPO on the horizon? How are you thinking about the trade-offs for that of right. more agility versus more liquidity? So I'm going to think, you know, on the, um, we have a few big goals. One we just talked about, which is we want to make every advertiser out there that has a good business to succeed with Taboola. So if you have a, if you have a product, <clears throat> and I got to tell you, the small businesses that work with us are the best advertisers. You know, it's those stories of, you know, we, we see advertisers that came to Taboola when they have two people team and they had a product and a dream and now they have 200 people and they sell headphones and they sell glasses and they sell really amazing things and, and they compete with the big brands and they disrupt them through Taboola. Um, so one big goal that we have is to make every advertiser that is coming to Taboola successful with us. The second thing is that on the publisher side, we have a lot of work. You know, I want to you know, double our publisher's business. I don't want to find incrementality. I want to find the revolution on um, specifically the engagement and revenue. Um, and then the third one is audience, which we talked earlier today, which is, you know, how do we, what's the next SEO? What's going to be the next hundreds of millions of people that will come to the open web? Otherwise, I'm afraid we're going to live in a world that's um, very concentrated around two or three companies. Um, so, so those things occupy us. And of course, there's, we, you know, we want to go global. I want video to become a big part of our business. Uh, there's a lot of other things, but at the high level, Advertisers need to be successful with us. Um, publishers, you know, how do we make writers double the value of the content they create? And thirdly, how do we find the next huge wave of audience that can come to the open web versus the other direction, which is currently what I think is going on. Um, but, but have you seen that shift a little bit since Facebook has um, encountered some, you know, some of the trust issues they have lately, or do you feel like they're still dominating in the same way? I haven't seen a shift. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, you know, the sidelines. Um, you know, I'm talking about a company that is not motivated. Um, 
to build their own consumer brand and is not conflicted with the open web. And you know, as of now, we're not there yet, by the way. Oh, we haven't solved it. I hope we will. Uh, someone has to. Otherwise, I think it's um, this is the this is a true um, risk. I think the open web and journalism is facing, which is two, three, four, five years from now. But we need to start now to think about what's going to be the next 30% of our traffic. It's not social. It's not search. What is it? Uh, right now, there's no answer. Um, so that's that's a huge part of it. And I think as part of that, table will be very acquisitive, and we're looking at. Uh, we know we acquired three companies, and I think we will continue to acquire companies. And in terms of IPO, um, you know, we're fortunate that we um, were profitable for many, many years now, and we've raised over $100 million, and most of it is on our balance sheet. So we don't, you know, an IPO is primarily a funding event plus a currency. Um, so I think, you know, investors are patient. We don't need to raise money. Um, and people believe Tabula's currency um, whether they join us as employees or they join us as investors or they join us as companies we acquire. So, so far, I, we don't feel the pressure to go public, but I do think the company deserves to be public at some point. So when I, as I think about the next big event of the company, um, I do think at some point it will happen, but uh, I feel fortunate that I don't have to make this decision today. Okay, so then one final question. So <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of money in the bank. Um, and so if you could say snap your fingers and the perfect startup was there, or, you know, this perfect company for you to acquire, what would that be? And another way of thinking of it, if you weren't doing Taboola, if you're starting a company today, you know, what would that be? I mean, in, in a different space or in our space? Well, as far as acquiring in your space, but if then if also if, if you wanted to start something well personally I'm completely different yeah so personally I'm inspired by uh, you know world big issues such as medical um, and education so uh, you know personally if I had to uh, hope other big categories would evolve and be disrupted I would choose uh, healthcare and I would choose education I think the way the, the, the way we still go to school and spend four years sitting in a class when I see people coming to an internship at Taboola for two months and becoming super senior people at Taboola after two months because they're just smart and crazy and kind, um, it's very hard for me to argue how I'm gonna tell my son to go to Harvard or any school, by the way. I mean, because I would be like, just go to a startup and get an internship. Mm -hmm. So I think education- The new meritocracy. I, I just think that some, we did not change the way we learn for many, many years, and we need to adapt. I don't think it's bad to go to Harvard, but I don't think uh, it makes sense to do exactly the same. Not in a world, you know what happens in four years? Everything happens in four years. It's just too long. Um, so um, so I, I, think, I, think, I think education needs to be disrupted, and I think healthcare is also crazy to me. Um, I'm on the board of another company called K-Health, which is trying to do things in that space, and I'm just fascinated by how old world um, that world still is in terms of how we still go to the doctor and hope the doctor gives us a good advice. So those two big categories I hope to be disrupted for the sake of my family and you know and, and so forth, but uh, for the next generation. And for Tabula, um, the biggest thing that I see ahead of us um, that I'm very passionate about is part of the Tabula News business, which is the audience. Um, I'm very excited to, uh, to find a way to drive half a billion people to the open web. So anyone in that space is interesting to me. 
whatever they do. Um, get in touch. Uh, get in touch or we will get in touch with you. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I think anyone that has any idea how to move half a billion people to the open web to read the news has something interesting going on. Or to watch video. Anything that relates to build direct relationship with publishers. And then do whatever that publisher wants to do. Some of them are video, some of them are subscriptions, some of them are article, galleries. There's a variety of different publishers and they're all fine. There's no good publisher and bad publisher. Um, there's, there's good relationship and no relationship. And right now the trend is to have no relationship. So that is something that I'm personally uh, fascinated by and I think Tabula needs to be uh, aggressive at. Great. Well, thank you for joining us today and we look forward to welcoming you back sometime in the future and check in and see, see where you are. This at that was point. fun. Thanks. Thanks. Buzz.